First Timothy chapter six. You know my new dad's turn on here. Good choir, appreciate that. Great song. It's good to be able to sing with confidence. He is mine. That's a good thing to know. It's a love relationship that started in the very courts of heaven. We gave the invitation to the uh, broken lands of our world. And when we respond by faith to Christ's invitation, we become His. And uh, that's eternal. I like that a lot. First Timothy chapter 6, and this evening I speak to you on this subject. First Timothy chapter 6, an exegesis. Honestly, that's it. That's the, that's the title. And uh, just want to take you through this chapter and teach you some Bible in it. There are so many things within this chapter which are foundational to many other things, not only other subjects, obviously, that are dealt with in the Bible, but much in our day-by-day life and dealings. And uh, so I just want to take it. All that exegesis means is you're taking what's there, bringing it out, expanding it. And, and in doing that, there's a biblical formula for that to read distinctly, to give the sense thereof, to enlarge upon it. Uh, that, that's a biblical formula for getting the Word of God out. And uh, I, wanna, I just want to feed you from this chapter, and uh, you'll find it a good basis for some other things with that. But let's pray together and, and ask the Lord to open our minds for His Word. Father, I need it uh, for understanding of exactly what to give emphasis here. And Lord, I pray for Your people that they have ears to hear and a heart to learn. And thank You for Your mercy. Help us to ever be learning that we may ever be teaching, that we may ever be uh, uh, growing. And before You ask in Christ's name, Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6 <clears throat> starts out with an important word which will sort of set the tone throughout the chapter and that little word there is the word let. In other words, uh, the things we're going to deal with in this chapter have to deal with us making a decision, a choice decision of what we allow in our lives and what we give emphasis to in our lives. So it starts out with that word let. And let's look what it says here. It says, let as many servants as are under the yoke. Now, what does that mean? Very simply, what that's talking about is uh, you have someone you're working for, someone you're obligated to in one way or another. Down through history, there have been different types of, uh, of work. You hire in for an hourly wage or that sort of thing. And, or, you, uh, or sometimes people have been indentured servants. They have worked to get their freedom for some things or maybe worked um, under an apprenticeship where they would learn a trade and they would basically hire themselves in for a time with that. But whatever may be the case, it's dealing here with those servants that are under the oak. In other words, you are contracted in and somewhere or another there's been an agreement made um, between you and someone for whom you work. Let as many of servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. What does that mean? You say, well, preacher, there's some rough bosses out there and some people very ungodly. Of course, we're all, we're all familiar with those scenarios. Most of us who've worked uh, much out in the world know about that and uh, have had that situation. But what does it mean that they're worthy of all honor? Well, what that means is that they, uh, you're to, you're to uh, act honorably towards them. You're to respect the position that they have. You are to do the job that you're supposed to do. Uh, this would be someone, maybe they're, maybe they're a hard boss to work for, maybe they're unjust, unfair, but yet God says what I expect of you is for you to be what you ought to be 
in the situation with that. It says, let as many servants are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Look at the purpose. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. In other words, you don't act dishonorably and give to your master according to the flesh. You don't give them a reason to, to question your God. You show up, you're on that job and you profess to be a Christian. Hopefully you're being a witness in an appropriate and right way on your job. And you don't want to soil that or, or besmirch that in some way and, and do, do despite to that testimony. I, a little statement I heard Brother Jenkins make one time and kind of, a, I'm not saying flippant, but it, just kind of in passing. He said, I don't want people to question my doctrine because I am poor in my practice of my doctrine. That was a great statement. He said, I don't want people to question my doctrine because I am poor in the practice of my doctrine. That's, that's the idea here, what you're dealing with this. Look in verse 2, it goes this another step then. And they that have believing masters. You have a Christian as a boss. What's, what's our admonition with that? What's our instruction there? And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because uh, they are brethren. Now that word despise is not so much holding in contempt as it is taking way too lightly. It could be contemptuous. That word's not quite that strong as we would think of it that way. Not like you're sneering at them. But in other words, you think, well, they're a Christian brother. And so you don't do your best for them. Somehow you think it's their ministry to give you a paycheck. You know? Uh, uh, one time we were just on the outside of Eaton, uh, Ohio, and I forget we stopped to get something. It was just outside of Eaton there on 35. And uh, we were talking to somebody, and, try, and my wife started trying to get the price down. It was some little something. I know we were going to get something to eat or do something. I forget. We'd went over to Brother Hills. We were back in from uh, visiting or doing something over there. And it had been a number of years ago. But what I remember about the conversation, and uh, uh, said something. I said, you're going to think my wife is Jewish. And, uh, and uh, he said, no. He says, Maybe I shouldn't say it, but more likely Baptist. And I said, get a lot of that from the Baptist folk around here. And she, he goes, sure do. And, and she wasn't being out of the way. She was just trying to get a good deal. I said, you know, why don't you? And he goes, no. He says, really don't. And I said, well, we figure something as great. Salvation's free. Everything else ought to come cheap. Amen. And <laughs> he didn't agree with me theologically. Um, but here it gives us admonition, they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. In other words, don't, don't trespass towards them. Don't take them for granted because they're a believer. Uh, but rather do them service. Why? Because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, then that the admonition that's given to Timothy as a preacher, and since I'm a preacher, I take that admonition as something to be good to follow. These things... We just talked about here, teach and exhort. In other words, show you what you're supposed to do. Here's how you're supposed to act on the job. This outlines it. Now I exhort you. Go do what you ought to do. You'll have a great impact for Christ that way. And God will bless it too, by the way. You'd be amazed how God will bless it. See, a lot of people leave God out of their equation. They get everything figured out financially and all that stuff, but they leave God out. Is He blessing it or is He not blessing it? And I am telling you, once you commit to His way of doing things... It's amazing. All of a sudden, you look at the math and go, that doesn't quite make sense for good. Uh, why? Because God got in it. God gets behind something. It's amazing what happens with it. And then verse 3, if any man teach otherwise, 
Now, here you go. Somebody comes along and tries to send you a different direction. And by the way, not just of the first two verses of the chapter, although I've started in this chapter, but that, that chapter is a continuance of chapter 5. And you would see the same concept of teaching, step-by-step step living, step-by-step step what to do in certain real-life situations. That, that comes throughout chapter 5. But I picked up chapter 6. You can be thankful for that because it would be a very long evening if I tried to take all this in. But here, going back over the biblical step-by-step -step living for these different situations you'll run into, it says, if any man teach otherwise, another comes along and tells you this is not what you're supposed to do. This is not how you're supposed to behave. And consent not. If that man who's teaching otherwise does not consent, he consent not to wholesome words. What are wholesome words? They're words that have health, words that are biblically accurate, words that are, are complete and, and, and opposite of sickness. They have vitality and strength to them. So if you run into somebody who teaches something different than what you would read when you go through chapter 5 and into chapter 6, teaches you to go about conducting yourself differently, and they will not consent to wholesome words. In other words, they will not give their uh, agreement to, yes, this is the right way of doing things. Here's what it says. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to what, church? Godliness. All right doctrine leads you to godliness. I just told you something that will help you measure everything that comes to you. All right doctrine leads you to godliness. Someone tries to teach, somebody doesn't have to be trying to teach you in a formal setting in order to be bringing you doctrine. It can be as casual as two friends talking, hey, have you ever thought about this? And they start talking to you about a philosophy of life. Life, not lice, life, okay? <laughs> I know you're just itching to learn the other one, but the, uh, but the philosophy of life and what they're doing, they are teaching you a doctrine. Doctrine is a teaching that leads to a behavior pattern. The end of doctrine is behavior. That's, that's what its aim is. And so what happens here, that the doctrine is according to godliness. In other words, somebody brings you the doctrine, it's okay to social drink, there's nothing wrong with it. Don't worry about it. Hey, and they try to think you, make you think that booze is something besides a mocker, which the Bible says it is. Something different than a serpent, which the Bible says it is. Something different than poison, which the Bible says it is. Something different than something you shouldn't even look upon when it's moving itself right in the cup. And they tried to, tried to get you to go easy on your thoughts on that. They are bringing you a doctrine. And the doctrine they're giving you takes you away from godly living, not towards godly living. And so you can always measure whether doctrine is right or not by whether or not it points you towards and encourages you, and by the way, instructs and strengthens you towards godliness. So let's look at this in context here again. Verse 3, pick it up there again. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. What about that man? He is, what's the first characteristic? Verse 4, proud. proud. Now the next... Attaches the next statement attaches to that. He is proud, knowing nothing. I do not believe you can find a stronger block, a stronger barrier to actually learning than pride. Number one, pride's not teachable. Pride always thinks it knows. 
doesn't listen. Now, not everything you'll listen to is worthy of keeping. But pride won't even listen. Pride's haughty. Pride's always waiting to teach instead of listening to learn anything. Pride comes to the Bible that way. I've been amazed down over the years, I wouldn't even venture a guess how many people I've had conversations with on a private, in a private manner that have their whole tenor of their conversation, the whole thing that you get is that they come to the Bible basically judging the Bible. Well, let me see if this matches what I think. Let me see. And so the Bible, they never come with a yielded spirit to the actual revealed words of God. Instead, they come with a, with a judging spirit sitting in judgment of the Word. And then they wonder they get things tangled up, mess their doctrine up, can't find anything in it. This book's a closed book when your spirit's that way. God resisteth the proud. One way He resists the proud, He won't let you find stuff. And yet somebody who has a simple, open, and sweet heart towards the Lord and just believes the Word because they know it's the Word of God, they'll read that and they may be educationally way below the person with the critical spirit towards the Word and they'll get things that other person doesn't even see. Why? Because God gives His treasures to those who trust Him. It's very simple. And so, as you get into this and, and you look at it, it says about this one, you know, it's warning us about something. You know, God doesn't put this stuff in the Bible because it's never going to happen to us as believers. But what he puts in here are things we're going to encounter that are going to try to distract us and mess up our faith. So watch out for this one and consent to these wholesome words and such. He is proud knowing nothing, but doting about. And that's interesting. He just really fixated doting about questions. And, and it's interesting. And strifes of words. It's the idea of just he, the, the, the zeroed in, the main thing we want to do is debate. Trifles. And uh, can I tell you, that's a work of the flesh. And, and anybody who has, there's certain types of our minds that are very susceptible to going towards that act of the flesh. And if you have that type of mind, I have that type of mind, if you have that type of mind, may, may I suggest you, you need to go and take an extra step towards graciousness and humility and, and reminding yourself that God wants you to get the bigger picture of doing what He says to do. God's not impressed with our capacity to nitpick. So you mean details aren't important? No, details are vit vitally important. Everything you do is made up of details. But it's this idea of doting about strifes of words. In other words, you're just looking to argue almost for argument's sake. Um... You know, you're looking, for, you're looking for a debate and upset if it, you don't get into one. Perverse disputings of men, or excuse me, I jumped ahead there. Whereof, uh, whereof from this cometh envy, strife, railings, which speaking evil or harsh against, evil surmisings. You know what it means? They're surmised something. You arrive at a conclusion. You, 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 you think you know something. It's a suspicion, if you will. It's a very close word to the word suspicion. I surmise from what I see, this, this, or this is happening. Now, you don't have facts. You've surmised something. These, that's not always a bad thing to do. Okay, Surmising in and of itself is not always a bad thing to do. It's part of having judgment and operating in this world. But these are evil surmisings. 
This, this thing of not going according to the doctrine of godliness and not submitting to wholesome words leads to a mind which is always come up with evil conclusions. You're thinking, you're thinking badly of others or you're thinking maliciously of others or you think that others are thinking evil of you. It's, it's, you enter a whole world where you're just suspicious that everybody's against you. That causes very bad living. By the way, that can be a death of a marriage. That can be a death of a family relationship. That can be a death of a church about that fast. Why? Because people, oh, this one meant that and meant that. That's evil surmisings. It's not what our God has for us. He's got a lot better things than that for us, I promise you. And so, let's look what happens then with it. And with this all coming together, verse 5, uh, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Supposing, what do they suppose? What's one of the, one of the things they come up with? The gain is godliness. So in other words, as long as you have gain, that proves that God's with you. I tell you, there have been some very filthy people who have made a lot of money in their lives. So yeah, they cheated and some of them didn't cheat to do it. They figured out financial principles, figured out how some things work. They maybe had very good intelligence and knew how to use it, and they made money with it. But to say that because they did that, that that equals godliness, and the inverse then would be true, that if you don't have gain, that means you're not godly, is very much a problem doctrine. There's a lot of names we kind of throw around with it. And, and uh, you know, the idea of a health and wealth type gospel, uh, that if you're really right with God, then you'll be prosperous financially too. And the problem is, usually such things are either spoken against very flippantly or they're, they're uh, championed very flippantly and they completely miss the body of truth that's in the Bible that God desires to prosper you as much as He knows you can handle at any given point in life. And that it is incumbent upon us to know both how to abound and how to be abased. And it's vitally important that we set not our affection on the things in this earth. So that even if we have increase of this earth's goods, that we view them as we ought to as a stewardship given to us by God, and we ought to look at what is the way our Father wants us to use them. We know He wants us to invest in, in, in people. We know He wants us to, to uh, take care of our families and to our children's children. That's biblical. And He says that the workmen, you may enjoy the fruit of your labor. You get to enjoy it. Y'all are going on an anniversary trip, right? Tomorrow, heading for North Carolina. That's good. You work. You've lived out in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. At all. And you get Christians just get really messed up all the way around. Some of them are not willing to live with part of what they have. They feel very guilty if they spend anything. They feel guilty if they enjoyed something. I <laughs> enjoyed it. God must not be for it. You know, the form of monasticism. You want know, to be a monk. You know? um, and the other end of the spectrum, you have those who say, you know what? Abraham was super wealthy and Job was super wealthy and lost it all and then invested in Bitcoin and became wealthy again. He, he, um, 
<laughs> Talk about a volatile market. Job had it. But it was... But they point out all these things and talk about how much money that David left for the building of the temple and all that stuff and say, look, if you're really right with God, that's what happens. It's like a conversation I had with a man who was trying to... It was a weird day. It was one of those days that had a lot of weird compounded in it. And you remember the guy in the parking lot tried to cast the demons out of Timmy? Her handicapped nephew who was in a car accident in Blizzard 78, was slammed into the dashboard and the windshield and severely handicapped. This guy came across the parking lot, tried to lay hands on him and cast the demons out of him. That, that was just part of I wish I could describe that whole day to you. I, I'm used to weird. It's where I live. But man, this one was like overdrive, right? And this fellow at the time, he's saying, well, the only reason he's not healed is because you all won't believe it. And... He said, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11. I said, you ever read the end of Hebrews 11? And others? And others that were sawn in half, put in chains, wandered in goatskins. Yeah. That and others is there too. These all died in faith. In other words, God was pleased with all of them. And so what does He do? He says, I want you to understand, these people teach that gain is godliness. You say, well, where would that lead to? Oh, maybe a lukewarm, lukewarm, <laughs> lukewarm church <laughs> by the name of Laodicea. They said, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And God said, you know what you are with all your fanciness and your big budgets and your big programs? You are poor and miserable and blind and naked. He said, you don't even know that you need it. You're in such bad shape. Why? Because they, they said that gain is godliness. Is it appropriate that we praise God for increase? Is it appropriate that we praise God when we are blessed in a material way? It's very appropriate that we do. But it is never appropriate to say that because of this, this proves our godliness. There's only one thing that, that, that actually shows godliness, and that's a humble obedience to the written Word of God. And that shows up in how we treat other people and what we do, and if we're teachable, and if we can be convicted by the Holy Spirit, if we ever say, I am sorry because we realize we did something wrong, these things are more indicators of godliness than at bottom net worth. And so let's look at the rest of this here. It says... Verse 5 again, I pick it up on purpose there. Look, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, these people's minds are messed up, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, when you run into this, from such withdraw thyself. Don't, don't feed yourself with it. Don't, don't stay around. Just step back away from it. But godliness with, what's the word, church? Contentment is great gain. Gain isn't godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm pleased with where I am. There's a fullness to where I am. I want to do well. And I want to do well for the Lord. But I am pleased with where my Master has me today. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It is great gain. You can have peace that way. We sang that song, peace, peace. Wonderful peace. Where does it come from? This. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment with where we are in life. Not, not satisfying for what isn't right. Not accepting what isn't excellent of ourselves, but being content. And that also involves being content with where you are in growing. 
Sometimes people really, really hinder their own growth by constantly bashing on themselves because of what they've not yet achieved. Um, godliness and contentment together, that, that's a combination you can't beat. Look at verse 7. Basic truth. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain, how much can we carry out of it? Nothing. <laughs> My wife and I just had our will redone and some other things that have to do with uh, taking care of things. It sounds fancy to say estate planning. It sounds like you got a bunch of bucks or something. So I like to say it, but you don't have to have $100 and it's still called estate planning. But it sounds fancy. I like it. Um, but as we're doing that, there's a little thing. What are you doing? I do hereby bequeath all my earthly goods. Why is that kind of language there? Because, you ready for this? It's a deep truth. It's also a legal truth. Because they ain't yours no more. <laughs> the wealthy man passed away. Someone said, I wonder how much he left. And the answer was, all of it. So, we won't carry anything out of this life. We, there's a limit to it. It should fulfill its limit. There's things we can enjoy. We should fulfill it within, or, or enjoy it and, and use it and be a steward of it in the context of the time frame of it, but realize it has a limitation. Then look what happens. Now look at the context, what's being dealt with here about this thing of, uh, uh, of those who would suppose that gain is godliness and such, but they that will be rich. I believe the Bible teaches you should be as biblically successful as you can be in any endeavor you do. If you're a businessman and you start a business and you don't care if you lose money or not in that business, I say shame on you and you aren't operating biblically. I didn't say shame on you if something goes wrong in the business and not because of a lax handling, but just because you did not... Some Business is business. Sometimes things happen. I'd say shame on you if you have setbacks or something goes wrong in your business... But I say shame on you if you go in with a mindset that somehow because you're a believer you shouldn't do well. If you're not going in business to be profitable in your business, then you're not going in for a biblical reason. I challenge you. If you think I'm off on that in the least, I challenge you. Burden of proof goes to you because I know what I'm talking about. Burden of proof goes to you. Check your Bible. Check your parables that Jesus taught about money and see who He always showed that got rewarded. Those who were careful with their business and made a profit or those who were sloppy and did not make a profit. I challenge you. Read what the Bible says about it. Okay? Don't check with Matthew Henry or Brother Joel or anybody else. Check your Bible. I use that term loosely with that brother on that. The, uh, and so what happens here with this... <clears throat> He said, uh, they that will be rich. What is that? That's where it becomes the consuming will. That becomes everything. I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to be rich. Not I want to do well. I want to be rich. What purpose? So I can be rich. For me, is the me first thing we were talking about this morning. That's the overriding thing. But someone's going along with us and they realize they can be profitable and such. They realize they can take care of their family well. They realize they can give to others. They realize that they can, they can invest in things and they can be a blessing to generations to follow them. They are on biblical ground in every one of those areas. 
So what is this? They that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare. You open yourself up for being messed with as soon as you do that. You'll be in the, be at a gas station, okay? If you if you go into a gas station, and all you want to do is pay for gas, right? I mean, I, I was out of the pump, but you go ahead and pay for gas, and it takes you 15 minutes to go in and pay for gas. You know why? Because Bubba's got to buy his $35 a week worth of scratch-off tickets, two cartons of camels, and a six-pack. And you know what he's doing? He's talking the whole time. Maybe I'll hit it. Powerball is that? Wow, what's Powerball at now? <laughs> Just checking you. Oh. Yes. Give me a bite. All right. Thought I might catch one of you by guile at least there. Right? And the truth is that uh, that will to be rich is not just you say, oh yeah, that's that, that person that, you know, they're, they're dominating their industry and they're, they're doing, you know, amassing these great fortunes. The will to be rich shows up just as often, probably more often, and people who have n- no control over their finances because of the will to be rich instead of the will to be diligent um, than it does in those who are what we call wealthy. Um. They that will be rich, they fall into temptation and snare. There's a lot of temptations and snares. The lie that it's the way of security, the lie that it's the way to contentment, all these things. And, and it's not um, because godliness with contentment is great gain. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, that's what they fall into, which drown men. I don't like the terminology. I would not want this terminology pointed towards me. Falling into temptation, snares, hurtful lust, foolish lust, drowning. That's a, drowning in this thing. In destruction and perdition. Why? Where does it come from? For the love of money. Very important phrase. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. People say, well, the money is the root of all evils. Wrong. And misquoting it takes you completely wrong doctrinally. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not all kinds of evil. All evil. Get you, get you the right Bible. Which while some coveted after. These are very strong words. You know the Bible says that covetousness is idolatry. You have made an idol out of the finances and the money with it. It's no longer a tool. It's no longer something you use and appreciate the benefit of it. But it's become an idol. These are strong words. These are, not, these are not light words. These are not, these are not uh, whimsical words thrown in here. It says, but they, watch what happens. While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. It will destroy your faith. It will take you to wrong teaching. It will remove you from a biblical stance to covet after money. Laying on teaching, there's a couple lessons on fundamental finances. There's things I'm wanting to do to try to help God's people be healthy in the financial area in a biblical fashion. But the whole time, you better get 1 Timothy 6 down inside of you, get it down deeply inside of you, because what happens is you, you, want, you want to live in such a way that you are being a steward of whatever God puts in your hand. And if He blesses you in an area financially, you don't want it to become what takes you away 
from your basic trust in following the Lord because all of a sudden you have more than you ever had and it starts drawing you away. And conversely, it destroys you if all of a sudden you don't have the income stream you did have before. And you find out that at some point, your trust shifted. And it will affect your faith. Then look what it says. They, they erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. God doesn't want that for His people. That, there's no way that the loving Heavenly Father wants His children to be going through that. He doesn't want that for you. Then look at verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Get away. Run from them. Go away from them. And follow after. I like that. You ought to mark those two, uh, two words. Flee and follow. Right there are two words that will help you with your Christian life. Once you decide to flee from, just get away from it. You'd be like, be like old Joseph when Potiphar's wife was, was trying to get him to sin. He gat him out. Sometimes you just need to gat you out. You say, what's well, gat? That means you're moving, brother. Out of there, all right? Oh, man of God, flee these things and follow. You follow the right thing, flee the wrong thing. And follow after righteousness. Check out the next one. Godliness shows up as a theme here. Faith. Follow after faith. Follow after godliness, righteousness, faith, love, patience, meekness, that, that controlled, steady strength that the Lord gives. Then, if we do that, then we're in condition for the next verse. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. I'm not talking about you working to your salvation. You're talking about lay hold. You need to get the fullness of it. You need to, you need to live in the fullness of eternal life. Hey, eternal is, does not just speak to the duration Everlasting life speaks to the duration. Eternal also speaks to the duration. In other words, when I was born again, July 26, 1980, I was born again by the Spirit of God. According to the Scripture, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I was not sealed with the Holy Spirit of maybe. Promise. I was born. I was regenerated. The Bible says I was made partakers of the divine nature. There was, a, there was an actual change put inside of me. Now watch it. I didn't know all that at that time. I just knew I got saved was happy about it. But look what happens. That begins, it never ends. That's everlasting life. It's also eternal life. What's this thing about laying hold on eternal life? Eternal is the quality while it's enduring. While I'm here on the, the trip and the pilgrimage upon this earth, do I live for the eternal or the temporal? If I live only for that which passes, just for, you know, uh, uh, for the appetites of the flesh, for the things I can possess now, if that's the focus of my life, if that's everything in my life and not in its proper place, then what's happened, I am called a carnal Christian. I am called a babe in Christ. I am called someone who has to have milk instead of meat. I can't do a man's work in the kingdom of God because I'm eating baby food. You with me? Because I haven't laid hold of eternal life. I have not yet got the quality and what that life is. It's not just the duration. It is the eternal aspect. Like what a fellow said to me, he ran into a strange situation. He said, to, he said, a really strange situation. He says, I always ask, and I believe the man that he does, he said, I always ask, what's God doing in this? 
Well, he may not get an answer, but that mindset's a good mindset because it causes you to think about things. What does my Heavenly Father want? What's going on with this? You may not get an answer. You may not figure it out, but it puts you in the right frame of mind for approaching things wisely and in a a right and a godly way. And then it says there, uh, let's look again in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable. Now, you can be accused, but you, you need to live in such a way, I need to live in such a way where we aren't rebukable. In other words, no one could accurately bring a rebuke against us. They, people can accuse and say what they want, but there would not be any truth behind it. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the duration of it. Which in His times, I love this, shall show who's the blessed and, really important word, what's the next word? Only what? Somebody tells you there's a potentate over there in Rome, don't you believe him? He's not. He's an imposter. The spirit of Antichrist. Setting himself up to be Christ on earth, he is Antichrist. Antichrist doctrine. Doctrines of devils. That's why they have Mary, Queen of Heaven. That's why they say they can say some words in Latin and literally turn a wafer into the body of Jesus Christ. And by their doctrine, I'm not making something up, not something I read somewhere else. I've read Catholic doctrine enough to know it better than the average Catholic I meet. I'm not mad at Catholic people. I'm mad at an enslaving doctrine that gives the priests power over their souls. And their doctrine of transubstantiation says that that wafer is literally the body of Jesus Christ. That the wine they drink is literally the blood of Christ. And it's blasphemy against Christ. It purports that He's being crucified over and over again. And may God help us to tell our dear Catholic friends about a Savior who died once for all. And who is the only potentate. May we be kind when we do it. May we be wise. May we tell them about what many of their hearts have longed for to be able to know peace and true forgiveness without wondering if they've done enough. The answer is no, you've not done enough, but Jesus did and you can trust Him. Let's go about it that way. Church, God will like that. And so it says here, He's the only potentate. And uh, I lost my potentate. There's verse 15. The King of Kings... Some people really uh, think there's something because they got themselves moved in high places, didn't they? King of kings. They strut around. I just laugh at them. I'm thinking, you're going to get slapped so sideways. And Lord of lords, who only hath immortality. What else has that to give? Dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. And right there's a great word for a Sunday night service. Amen. Then, something to be given in charge is is something to be put out very uh, authoritatively because of the Word of God. Charge them that are rich in this world. Okay? So if you are rich in this world, look up at me just a second. How many of you are Americans? Okay? Can Can I tell you something? I'm not being silly. In this world, you are rich. 
Not us, preacher. We're just barely getting by. Uh-huh. Not by world standards. Not by world standards. We have food banks in our towns and people come to get food and won't take it because it's not the brand they like. They go back out to a nice car with heating and air conditioning and they leave the food bank saying that they, they didn't get the food they needed and they're 120 pounds over stinking weight and they, they turned down food because they didn't like the brand. We're not poor! Say, preacher, that's not nice. I know and I wish they'd quit. <laughs> You're not going to get me to be ashamed of calling a Hey, it's black and white said, Moo, we called it a cow. When it was kind of pink with little blotches on it, had the nose stuck out like this and had two nostr- uh, nostril holes in it, and it said, we said it was a pig. Sorry, I just come up calling things what they are. Don't plan on changing now. Actually, I plan not to change now, which is far better. So what about we who are rich? They that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded. Well, there you go. By the way, and this will tie in, you'll see in a second, it helps you enjoy everything you have better too. It's a nice thing to have nice things. It's a blessed thing to have nice things and be appreciative. It is a curse to have nice things and think you are entitled to them. Charge them. It's a strong authoritative stance that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Here's the other thing because you don't want yourself destroyed if things change. Nor trust in uncertain riches. Don't let that be your trust. Use it. Use it well. Be wise. Be smart. But don't put your trust in it. Everything can change so fast. (laughs) Nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God. Let that be your trust. While you work and while you plan, while you do the things you ought to do, let your trust be in God. Then look at this verse, the end of the verse. Who giveth us richly all things to what? Enjoy. You enjoy the distribution of it. You enjoy the use of it and all that. It's God's plan for you. That they do good. Sometimes it's amazing. People... Almost equate that if someone has a high income or a lot of money, it gives them a pass on their morals. Well, someone's worth so many millions of dollars that you know you can't expect them to live right. Why not? A wealthy man is just as responsible for living morally as a poor man is. Maybe more so because of his influence. Much is given, much will be required. Say, well, when people have a lot of things, they become hedonistic. Now, they become hedonistic, if you want to use that term, because they're not right with God. They're sensual. They're fleshly. Got to read in history about some people like Wanamaker, Colgate, Letourneau, other men who, who put the gospel first. These were men who amassed and moved hundreds of millions of dollars in times when that would be billions now. 
But yet they followed God, stayed clean, and did right through their lives. Why? Because they had respect unto the one who had blessed them. That they do good. That they be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Looking how they can help. And by the way, not being a, not being a yahoo about that either. You're, be, be as smart in your giving as you would be in investing. Be smart. Don't just throw money at things. You, you'll do what you want to. And I'm not saying you've sinned if you've done this. But I go through and someone says, hey, do you want to give a few dollars of this or that? I don't know anything about that. I don't put money in it. The only exception I make to that is if I, I want to be able to talk to that person, it's going to open a door for me to talk to that particular person. I'll put a couple bucks in something so I can talk to the person who's, who's taken it up. I've done that before. But then I'm using it as a tool. You say, why not? Because. What we saw down in Haiti made me know you should never send something to Haiti unless you know the people who are handling what's going there. Because we're responsible for what we support. So we had to know it. We had to take time to find out what's going on. Let's go on quickly here. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they, here's the term again, may lay hold on eternal life. But if you had a lot of blessing in your life and you got to be blessed by that lot of blessing and you got to bless others and were blessed because of the blessing that went out, imagine what all would come of that. Oh, Timothy... Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called climate change, which some professing have erred concerning what? That's what it comes down to. Grace be with, with thee. What's that good word there? Amen. amen. And in Greek, I know you know the word amen, and in Greek that means preach it again, preacher, so I'm going to start. No. Um, <laughs> that's when you get to amen, amen. I mean, shut her down. Deals with a lot of things. The practical living, the business arrangements, how we view what God gives us. There's a lot of things in Christianity in general in our Baptist churches in particular, that can pull you off one way or another as far as looking at things scripturally. We're stewards of what God gives us. We have to do well with them. We need to be, be wise and, and try to be smart with what we do. And we should never, ever, ever get in a position where we allow the things that God has intended for us to richly enjoy become the things that enslave us and the things that take our heart away from our God. Because... This thing of erring from the faith is a serious issue. And he said, do not let the things of this world that you're interacting with become something that takes you away from the God who loves you, that takes you away from following Him. Read it. Let this become a part of you. And you'll find out it'll make a difference in how you deal with things on a day-by-day basis. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for this great, great, great chapter in the Bible. And uh, Lord, may we be obedient towards it in our outworking of it, our heart's attitude towards it. May we be trusting to You, not adversarial towards You. And Lord, may we let Your book be our instruction in all matters of a life. Bless Your people. May those who have a seeking heart for You ask You specifically for the wisdom they need. And I pray You'll guide them step by step what they need to do with their life, please. Amen. Let's stand together.
Tonight would be a good time to start. Something you want to bring to the Lord. Maybe right now would be a good time for you to come and ask the Lord for wisdom in a particular area. God, this area here, I need wisdom in. And I'd like you to give me wisdom in this. That's the first and best place to start. Uh, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get wisdom, the Scripture says. We need to do that. We have something at the altar. Why don't you come as the piano begins to play this evening?